You're listening to Outside Radio. Welcome back to Queering It Up, a show that speaks about all things queerness. Happy 2021. And I hope you guys are ready for this year's journey because 2020 was a fucking mess. 2021 is starting out to be a mess as well, but let's be positive. I think we can be positive about it and hopefully see some changes in the upcoming future, which should be tomorrow. Like, I'm tired. I'm tired of living under... I don't know what, I'm tired of struggling, I'm tired of everyone just going through the most. We need a break. But anyway, this is Queering It Up. I'm your host, Lele. You can catch us on OutsideRadio.live or at OutsideRadio on Instagram. Today we have an amazing guest. We'll be talking about being queer, owning a business in China. Okay, Not just owning a business anywhere. In China, hun. Beijing, China. We have EJ, who's a business owner, and I'll just say overall hustler. Because <laughs> <laughs> what else can you call someone who is actually doing it in business-wise in China? Thank you. It's a hustler, bitch. How are you doing, baby? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be talking with you. And uh, it's interesting. I, I, I never thought of myself as a hustler, but it has a nice ring to it. Hustler. Come on, Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> <laughs> You're a hustler. How has your 2021 been? How has it started? Honestly, it was. it has been a much welcome change. I think... Everyone has has their own version of 2020, and I feel like I'm one of the people on the sick end of the spectrum who, like, I want to document it. Like, I feel like I want to make a scrapbook or a yearbook of it, because I feel like once the trauma sets in, you know, like, your brain starts going crazy and you forget stuff. But I feel like 2021 has been nice. It's been a little bit of a pause, a lot of reflection, a lot of learnings from last year, and hopefully some transitions and new beginnings in the coming year. Not to be cliche, but I I, I am excited and looking forward to a lot of new stuff. So And in terms of like the business side, how has this year been I know it's only a month, been different to Mm twenty twenty. Because twenty twenty a lot of places shut down. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. income was touch and go. Mm -hmm. So how has that affected you personally? Mm -hmm. It's been challenging. I think um the end, most of 2020 was very un, unpredictable, of course. But I think starting in 2021, I think it, it's challenging because there is a, a sense of hope that, like, people are getting vaccinated, things are getting stable, especially here in China. I mean, things have been relatively safe in Beijing up until really very recently. And even then, it's like four new cases and like the whole city shuts down not the whole city but parts of the city start shutting down um but there's hope in that but i think the 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 difficulty is that like because so many things have shifted and changed i don't think there's been enough time for people to really like take in the the aftermath of the pandemic and sort of who the new players are and how do you remain relevant and sort of this space where i think people are excited to go out but they're like cautious so i think it's 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 exciting because things are looking like they're on the up but there's also i think a lot of 
things that people haven't made time to really analyze to see how that might affect them for the coming year. Because it just the, the nice thing about being in in China, Beijing specifically, uh, as opposed to me, South Africa. South Africa just keeps getting worse with this pandemic, mm-hmm. and yeah, two cases. Everyone, pause. Mm-hmm. Let's mm-hmm. think about this. Mm-hmm. Stay in your, stay your asses at home. Because even in Shunyi, they cancelled the the DD for some time. Oh yeah, we didn't yeah. have DDs at all, which is, well, it was it was a good and bad thing because we couldn't move around, but it was a good thing because, and it could spread anytime mm-hmm. and by anyone. Mm-hmm. All right. So just tell us about your 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 just to track back to who is EJ, mm-hmm. where did you grow up, mm-hmm. and how you ended up being. Yeah, in the city of Beijing. I was going to say city of lights, but city of Beijing. Um, Let me think how I want to tell the story. So I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio, in the United States. Uh, It's in the Midwest. I would say lived a very Cincinnati, I feel like, Midwestern life. I don't know. I feel like when people think of Ohio, they think of... Cows and farmland, which is a big part of it, but I'm from one of the urban parts Mm -hmm. of the state. And then um, I I feel like my entry point into Asia happened pretty young. My best friend in elementary school was half black, half Japanese. And I remember she would come to lunch with like dried squid and like seaweed snacks and like um, like different like drinks and stuff like that and always like piqued my interest and so we would like I don't know I would like trade an Oreo for like part of hers or we would like switch Lunchables because I was always interested in what she was eating and also like Cincinnati very not diverse uh, compared to like other major urban areas mm-hmm. in the US so um it's more I, white I, yes very mm-hmm. white very black uh. but also like I, I you know growing up in the 90s I was born in 1990 so like you, you typically in the U.S. don't see a lot of Asian males with non-Asian uh, people, especially black people. Oh, okay. I mean, it's just like not common in the world in general, but especially not a black man and a, uh, sorry, an Asian male and a black female is like the rarest coupling. Yeah. So imagine that like in Cincinnati, which is very black and white, has history of race riots, all of that. Um, and so I was just intrigued by her. I ended up switching schools. So we lost contact, but I think like the impact was already there. So that sort of started Asia, you know, Japan, high school. I was in like uh, a bunch of like clubs that related to Asia. I started taking Japanese and then I learned Japanese. A lot of the language came from China. So when I got to college for undergrad, I went to school in Massachusetts at Amherst College. I decided that I wanted to learn uh, kanji, which is the Japanese um, characters, oh, okay. so which are borrowed from China. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to start with Chinese, and then I never looked back. I, so you still haven't learned the Japanese? I did a year and a half total of Japanese. I liked it. A lot of rules um, wasn't too into all of the rules, so I stuck with Chinese. I had a great professor my first year, and yeah, I decided to major in Asian studies with a concentration in China and have been in Beijing for eight of the last 10 years, so. That's a long time. Yeah. 2012? I first came in 2011. 2011. Yeah. Look, it's 2021. Oh, yeah. And then how has, seen that the Midwest, right, that's where Ohio is, mm-hmm. how is the gay culture there, the gay community? Um, I would say 
The Midwest is okay. I mean, particularly from where I'm from. So, being from Cincinnati, I don't really remember like there being like a pride and things like that. Also, I feel like I didn't really fully come into sort of my sexuality and sort of my identity. Probably not until college. Because I feel like when I really started, like, um, I feel like doing a lot of like the difficult work uh, of, uh, and by that I mean like I feel like there's one thing to like know that you're gay or queer or whatever, and then there's like another thing to like actually be, yeah, sort of yeah. identify with the and engage yeah. with the culture. And I feel like I identified in high school, but I feel like I wasn't really engaging with much of anything, the history, the people, the issues until college. Um, I don't know. Cincinnati is kind of what sparked that though. What made you not? fully immerse yourself into the culture and only start later on because mm-hmm. you're saying that uh before that you identify like okay i'm gay whatever whatever mm-hmm. but you weren't fully immersed into the, mm-hmm. the gay culture per se mm-hmm. so what was that shift that made you just go now mm-hmm. it's my time i think part of it is being at home and being in a culture and environment that cincinnati is a relatively conservative place mm-hmm. um and you know being black and you know my uh, my mom and dad side of the family is very religious, grew up in a Baptist church. Um, and so I think part of it is just like not being out and not like being accepting of oneself, even though I was acting on sort of like the sexual part, you know, go through puberty and all that, you know. Yeah. So I, I was acting on those things, but I think I still, I don't know, you have internalized homophobia from a very early age. So I think it wasn't until like being in college, leaving that, seeing other people sort of leave, living their truth. And I think also being in a space where like, I had my own computer, I was living alone. I, you know, there's so much information online now. And yeah. so being able to like see yourself in other spaces and also see yourself in your friends and like not feeling the shame of like, oh my God, like I have to hide this from my parents. I have to hide this from a high schooler friend or whatever, because I don't know sort of where they stand on the issues. That was helpful um, because that was sort of the start. And also I joined an all male acapella group in college. That, I don't know, I feel like anything all male is most likely going to be something that's homoerotic. And so I think being able to spend like 10 hours a week with the same group of like 10 people for four years and like that's not including the time that we like live together I feel like I got a chance to see what like different types of masculinity and what different expressions of maleness and queerness could look like and I think that also helped because um, I didn't feel like the the sort of the one way right exactly right because of course like you know, growing up, media representations of it, it's very one thing. Yeah. And you're, uh, you know, especially if you are more effeminate, then I feel like you fall into certain stereotypes. And so it was nice to be in a space where, like, not only could I see different representations of it, but I was also in an academic space where you could intellectualize it. And so I could, like, contextualize sort of the things that I was experiencing and my friends were experiencing and, like, a greater history. So that was probably the big sort of shift. How did that then prepare you for now being in China? And also living with your yeah. sexuality and fully mm-hmm. being in, in your sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say part of it comes from the fact that um, I think my preparation came from, I think I did more preparation for what it was going to be like to be black than I mm-hmm. did for what it was going to be like to be queer. One, just because 
I feel like sexuality isn't something that you necessarily wear on your sort of sleeves. You don't wear it with you everywhere you go. Even if you are someone who, like for example, I feel like in American culture, if someone were to meet me who like knows me more than just a superficial interaction, would be like, okay, this is someone who's effeminate. Like you sort of can yeah. parse out the queerness. Whereas I feel like in other contexts, you know, living in a global world, in a place like China, some of the things that like for me feel very effeminate uh, don't necessarily register like that in China, whereas like blackness is going to register regardless. Mm-hmm. And so I think for me, I did the prep work that I did to sort of understand where China was racially. I think I can apply the same skills to where China was in terms of its like gender and sexuality minorities. Obviously, going into it, like if you do any research on China, you know that like it's not the best place. But it's also not the worst. Not the worst, <laughs> right? And I think also, you know, being a foreigner, being an expat, being an American, being someone who like speaks the language, I think there's a lot of privilege that comes with that. And so I think whereas I think some people might be scared of navigating those spaces, I think because I study the culture and the language, um, and like the Americanness of that, I think there is a lot of privilege that comes with that where like mm-hmm. my queerness um didn't necessarily pose an issue. Uh, but it, I think that took time. It took a lot of trust building before. I, I think a lot of relationship building in, the, in China is like really built on trust. And so I think that when I was making friends with locals, I felt like I had to spend more of my energy proving to them that like, regardless of my American blackness, queerness, that like mm-hmm. I was just a good person yeah. and someone that you want to be around. And if I, I felt like once I was able to establish that, then like the rest of the stuff didn't matter as much. So, that's that's actually a, a, a good thing that in socially, it hasn't hindered you at all. However, in terms of professionally, business-wise, work-wise, has that impacted you badly or positively? Um, I would say... Um, I would say sort of yes and no. I would say it definitely has an impact. Yeah. I think it impacts because it shapes sort of my vision and it shapes the kind of space that I want. I think when we were thinking of how we wanted fifty fifty to be, it was very intentional that like I wanted it to be an inclusive space, mm-hmm. and I didn't want it to just be a gay space because I feel like even in a place like China and in Beijing and a conservative place like Beijing, where like there aren't that many queer spaces, but there are there are enough queer male spaces, yeah. right? And so I wanted it to be a space where, like, it could be a space where anyone, regardless of where they sort of fell on the spectrum, the gender and sexuality spectrum, where they felt comfortable. I mean, that was part of the reason why the events that we used to do, you know, before the sort of the pandemic hit, were called Spectrum, because mm. it wasn't supposed to be Bear Night or Ladies Night or This Night or That Night, because I felt like, again, especially in the context of China, there are so many divisions and and not enough spaces anyway, even though I know that people can get insular, they only want to hang out with gays, and they only want to hang out with bears, and they only want to hang out with this group. I kind of wanted to not do that. And so I think my queerness definitely influenced that, me bringing that up, there was a point to my business partners that I was like, I want to make sure that we do this. Or, um... I don't know, just certain language. I think, like, my business partners, the way that they treat me or they treat other customers and things like that, I think there's a a, 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 a certain awareness. Yeah. I think negatively... 
don't know. It's hard to say negatively because I think that we've been more of like a word of mouth, friend of friend business yeah. kind of a place. I I think that if we were trying to push, which at a time we were, I think if we were trying to sort of push me as like the face of the brand, I think we would have had more difficulties with that because I think in terms of like, I don't know, I'm not super interested in like, um, uh, I, I'm fine with like, not sort of broadcasting my queerness because yeah. it has to be about that. But I'm also not okay. Uh, I'm not okay. Like, having to hide it or, yeah. like, be dishonest about it for the sake of protecting the brand. Like, I'd rather not do it. And so I think that's been a perk of of starting something as an entrepreneur versus joining something where, like, we get to set the company culture. We get to set sort of what it's like. Um, but, you know, if we were to want to do some sort of, like, big brand deal or, like, collaboration... I think we'd have to be mindful of like how that works just because of the culture and sort of politics around. How did the, 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 the business side of you starting a whole business come about? I get that you say like you wanted a place that is inclusive for every single person outside of gender stereotypes or gender mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, so how, what made you think, okay, now I'm in China, let me start this business. And how did you go about that? Mm-hmm. So my initial intent actually was never to come to China to start a business. Actually, yeah. um, I came here for you know I, again I studied it. I had lived here previously. I was working uh, a full time job, which I you know I still have. But it was interesting because it came out of a, a friend group um, where we had done sort of our. You know the the knights at temple or not at the temple the knights at Dada. I don't know what that place called. Kai. Um. Destination. Get, getting closer. Oh my god. Temp. Oh no, heaven. 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 Yeah. That's why the T came. Like the the you know being at places like heaven. The ghetto heavens or the better one. The original, right? Uh-huh. Well, I, you know, I first came here ten years ago. I couldn't afford anything else, mm-hmm. you know. So I was in the temp or the I keep saying temples. I was in the the heavens. I was in you know a lot of the brew the brew places. I was having Baijiu at dinner because mm-hmm. Baijiu was affordable. Um, because also I was just looking for a specific experience. You know, it was the end of the week. I just wanted to go out and like be in these streets. I think once I got a little bit older and like I started going to cocktail places where it was a bit quieter, you could sort of sit and have your own space, I got interested in that. And so when I was hanging out with my friends, that's where we would go. And in terms of like how did the business part of it come up, it's that there was a bar, Scarlet A, which was one of my favorites in the Gulo area, and we knew it was going to be closing. And at that point, me and my friends had been going for a couple of years, having birthday parties and things like that. And I think there's something that's about the cocktail bar space that it's meant for chatter. Yeah. It's uh, chatter. It's meant for conversations, meant for chatting. I think also the process of making cocktail drinks, it's meant to be appreciated. You know, it's like alcohol, the craftsmanship, sort of the thought process that goes into designing a menu, watching a bartender make it. I mean, yeah. I can just watch them make good drinks for their And so I, I think when we realized that that was going to go missing, there was sort of a perfect storm of like, well, the bartender needs a job and like sort of, you know, I sort of have the culture and the experience and sort of, and what brought people to this place. And then sort of my friend is like, you know, the sort of entrepreneur and has sort of the finance and the business sort of acumen to know whether or not it's a good time. And so when the three of us got together, I remember my friend, my business partner asked me, he's like, he said, I want to open a bar with mm-hmm. you and I want to call it EJ. 
Oh. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> I said, I'm not going to be doing that. Um, I I mean, I was, I thought he was joking. I was like, there's no way you're being serious. Like, um, he was like, no, I'm like being serious. Like, he's like, you've just shown me another side. He's like, I didn't know that you could like hang out and like be in a space like this. Because I don't know, if you think about drinking culture in Beijing, a lot of it is like, gambe. I mean, it's a yeah. lot of just like, just consuming, um, consuming, 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 and then you know you're dragging your friends out, and it's a Tuesday, and y'all were just supposed to be having chore, and yeah. now like you know you're fighting over who's paying the bill, and it's a mess. Um, and I think that the, the, the there's I don't know, Beijing is a tough city. It is. It's very hard, and I think that whether you're foreign or or you're local um, or you're from another province, you know a lot of people move here to for to grind and hustle. And I think that at the end of the day, and at the end of the week, I think that pushes a lot of people to drink, not necessarily for the sake of enjoying the drink. And so I wanted to, it to be people could enjoy the space, they can enjoy the drinks, they can enjoy the music. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a perfect storm. But also networking and social and building. Yes, yes. We didn't want to just be another place where you could get drinks. We wanted it to feel a little bit different. And so I think that people who have been in this space it feels very comfortable and I think that was a very intentional sort of business thing because I'm like well if I'm going to spend the time and energy doing it then I want it to be worth it um yeah and also then um is it easy opening a business as a foreigner by himself or do you actually need to have Chinese backing so you don't have to have so there's something that's called a uh, wholly foreign owned enterprise mm-hmm. um, and then there's like joint venture uh, enterprises um, basically a wholly foreign owned enterprise is what you can expect is that you are supplying all of the capital and the funds for the the business and that you are the sort of um, sole or primary legal representative for it as well so there are issues um, it it is it difficult? Sort of yes and no. Yeah. I, I say yes in the sense that, like, if you want to do good business, you, there's, like, definitely things that you need to have. You need to understand how things work. You need to... It's probably good that you know the language. Yeah. Um, because if you don't know the language, it's not going to take someone. Then it's, yeah. I don't know. Again, there's a lot of trust in businesses here, and so I think that that can be difficult. I think sometimes people get stuck on, like, the financial... Start costs of starting things up, and like I think the financial part is probably the easiest part to find. It's not the money that's difficult; it's 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 sort of everything else, and it's also doing it on the books that's the difficult part. Um, but it is possible, and you can sort of apply on your own, or there, I mean, there are many sort of companies that you can find. I think in terms of a joint venture business, you know, like with other things, that the same thing applies here. It's you and your partner sort of go in and share the legal and financial responsibilities and the liability of that. Um, that's also possible, but you have to think about, like, do you really trust this person? Yeah. There's you know, however many countless horror stories of foreigners coming into business practices and thinking that things are going one way and, and then, it's not. And I don't want to perpetuate that that's always the case. I don't think that is. I think there are a lot of great people who are doing great business and they figure it out. But... You know, you have to do your research and you have to. You can't just know also your just friend. depend on one person. You also exactly. have to figure it out on yes. the side. What has been the biggest challenge of owning a, a business outside of the pandemic? Because obviously everyone mm-hmm. took a hit yeah. last year. 
I think the difficult thing initially for me, and it still is, is going into business with friends. Mm -hmm. I think there's just a lot. You have to be comfortable communicating or you... Or you have to be comfortable uh, dealing with what happens when you are a great communicator. Um, I think you have to set boundaries uh, in terms of who's doing what and why who's doing it and what those responsibilities are. Because um, especially if it's a good friendship, I would never want business to destroy a friendship. And I think you have to... It's. I think sometimes people uh, conflate that doing business together with someone will allow you to deepen your friendship. And I don't think it does. It changes your friendship and it adds a new layer to your friendship. But it's still business. And I think that when if you go into business with someone and you don't make time to also do just friend things, yeah. and if the context that you see them in is only it's just the business. business, then like it's, it's not going to be good. Yeah. And so I, I would definitely say keep that in mind. I think outside of that is... Um, I think just the bureaucracy and also realizing that you're doing business in China and like you kind of have to you have to follow the rules and I think it's so easy to not follow the rules sometimes I think it's easy to get caught up in things and I don't I don't say that to think that like people are doing like major corruption and yeah. like all these but I think that like it's easy to get frustrated by the process and get beat up by it because when China decides that it's going to do things, you have to do them a certain way, and not everyone... And things change constantly. Yes, yeah. and that's the thing, and I think that sometimes people can be like, well, on Monday you told me this, and now it's a week later, and it's something else, and then two days after that, you're like, actually shut it down, we're not yeah. doing it anymore, and you're kind of like, why, 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 why? Well, you're not going to get an, uh, an explanation, you just have to do yeah, it. And I think people have to be mindful of that and know that they're going to have China days. But I think that if you can get through that stuff, the rest of it is just like making sure that you're doing it for the right reason. I, know that I also think so it also helps the fact that you are in business then with, 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 with Chinese people that you actually trust. Yes. Because it also affects them. It just doesn't affect you that if Absolutely. the business is failing. Exactly. I mean, also... People's livelihoods yeah. that are at stake. And so I think with that, you have to make sure that you're doing it for the right reason. If you're doing it for just for money, um, I think you'll learn very fast that you can learn earn money in a lot of different yeah. ways. Um, and so I would say do it because there's some utility to it, either because you're passionate about it or because you need an outlet or because um, there's a, a, a benefit that's from you that's beyond just the money part of it. Like, for example, the socializing aspect of it. You yeah. know, there are people who say, I'm not really in it to make money. I have money, but it's nice to... I have a network and I want to be able to take them to a place that I think is respectable. So that's why some people get into business, right? Maybe you're not here because you are just trying to make things work. So I think also having an understanding of why you're getting into business. You know, like, I yes, I am a business owner and I'm, I'm a part of these things. But also, like, this isn't the thing that I wake up and I get out of yeah. bed for. Right, where some people they come here and they want to start a business, and they're like, I have to. This has to work because this is paying my bills. Yeah, and so being very mindful of like how much can you invest, and how much are you willing to invest in it financially or mentally or emotionally or otherwise is important to to know because otherwise you'll get caught up. Ever been undermined uh, for your sexuality and race at a workspace, especially in your own business? Um. Yes. Um. I have not often. Yeah. Not often, 
But there have been times where people are surprised or, I mean, I've even had, there's a customer who came and, uh, uh, you know, called me the N-word. Oh, and shit. my friend who was also there, who was white and German, um, popped off. I mean, like, yeah. someone who I never met, he, he uh, granted, it's not worth going into all the detail, but things like that will happen where customers will say something and they'll look at you kind of crazy or like, um, like, how are you owning this place? Yes, and the I think sometimes the worst part about it before is that sometimes they see you, they, they see you interacting, like they see me interacting with Mark, mm. you know, um, or they see me interacting with someone else who's on the team, and they see that, like, we're really close, like, yeah. whatever, whatever, and they're, like, look at me kind of crazy, and then they later find out that, like, I'm one of the partners, and then they're kind of like, oh, oh, and then they, like, kind of treat you differently. Like, that's whatever, keep it, you can have yeah. that, like, um... But it doesn't come... Again, I'm very fortunate that I feel like it hasn't really hampered things too much. For better or worse, I do think there is kind of that objectification or exoticizing of foreigners. Um, I think black foreigners sometimes... Again, I speak the language. I think that like can blow people's minds sometimes. I think uh, the people that I've come into, I've met who are Chinese have very low expectations for what a non-Chinese person can yeah. do in the language. And so, um, but again, I, 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 I've learned that if I continually focus on like the negative side of things, like I, there's no way I could have stayed in this country for eight years. Yeah. Oh my God. You, it will drive you insane. And, um, I think especially being American with everything that's been happening with like Black Lives Matters and just like how sort of socially active and vocal people can be in the U.S. I think that, um, I have to pick my battles because I know that if I were to go back to the U.S., it wouldn't necessarily be better. Like, yes, there are laws and things that are in place, but we all, we've seen the news. We've seen the clips. It's just as much trash over there as there is his, and so it just is different. It smells different. Sometimes it looks different, <laughs> but you still have to sort it, Sings. and you have to put Sings. it out, and you have to distinguish between, like, okay, what sort of worth me... Um, getting upset about and I don't I, I don't like that sometimes I do have to like uh, censor myself because I'm worried about the sort of angry black person trope yeah. or the you know the dramatic sissy you know uh, gay trope or whatever it is you know and I think when you're both of those things <laughs> you sort of have to work extra hard but I think that that's something that isn't China exclusive yeah. I think that's something that a lot of us have to do with growing up and navigating this world um, in terms of like not being too black or not being too gay or not being too American or not being too this because we're always worried that we'll piss someone off um, I would like to say that I've I've stopped caring and I think maybe the pandemic in some sense, because everyone's like, the world's going to shit anyway, you kind of were like YOLO. I'm sure I had six months of YOLO last I year, where I was kind of like, it, let's, uh, it doesn't matter, like, this is my place, and if you don't like it, there are yeah, um, hundred other bars you can go to, eat my ass. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think it's, it's something that is manageable, but it's not for everyone. Yeah. And I think... The, you have to really put in the prep work and understand the context that you're going into. I mean, China and, and Beijing is such a homogenous society. So, 
you know, if you're not used to that, or if you're used to a different type of homogenous society, then coming into China is going to be a wake-up call. Um, what do you think about the the, the, the the Beijing clubs, not just club, but the Beijing, Beijing, Beijing mm-hmm. gay scene in terms of like places where we can go to? Honestly, Does it perpetuate the stereotypes that are just put in place already for us? I would say... I think most of these systems, because they're imperfect, these spaces, they do perpetuate things. But I, I think in general, and this is me, and I think I'm a bit more cynical than your average person. I've had a couple of like less than ideal experiences in the community, and I think um, it's not really built for me. I almost would say us, but I don't want to speak for other people, us being like other black people. I don't know. I, I think that... There's not that much you can do. I think other cities are better. You know, you hear that it's better in Shanghai. You hear that it's better in, like, Chengdu. But I... I think that... It's... it's, I don't think it's very cute. I think that there's... Part of it is that there's not a ton of options. I think that the... But, yeah, here. I I won't bash it. I think for what is here, I think that if you feel like you need is a somewhat of a mainstream or like a destination kind of a place then know that it's here and that um, I'm struggling for words that it's here and that I think some people really get what they need out of it I'll say that I think that if you are coming from a place that is if you're coming from Berlin, if you're coming from San Francisco or LA or New York, um, it's not that. <laughs> it's not that. Um, but I think that, like I was saying before about the bar, the nice thing is that like you can create your own spaces. Yeah. And I think that's a nice thing about business in general. You know, find an opening, find a space that and a need, and create something with it. But even if you're not going to start a business that's catering to a, a specific group, you can make space. There are, I think, queer enough, friendly enough spaces where you can create your own niche there, or you can do it in your own home, or you can create your own groups with that. Um, and so I have found that I've had a bit more success in those non-mainstream places yeah. than I have in the mainstream places. I've never, I, I've never been to Destination. I went to Destination once. They told me it's a hundred quai, and I said, hell no, I turned my ass, I went home. And then Kai, I went to Kai when I just got to Beijing, not my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's not for me. Yes, yeah, the few times that I, I don't think I've been to Destination since, like, Marriage equality was passed in the U.S., which was years ago. Um, Yeah, I just, I I think it's interesting because I think you hear a lot about, like, something that was always a pet peeve for me growing up in high school and college was, like, seeing my my female or femme friends being objectified on the Mm. dance floor. I think that there was, like, of course, like, everyone's talking about consent now or whatever. But I felt like there was a lot of times where, like, people would get on the dance floor and just do whatever they want because it was the dance floor, and they assumed that that gave you permission to do stuff. And I think that in a lot of those spaces, it's the same thing. And that happened to me a few times where people would, like, 
follow me to the bathroom oh. or would touch me and I would be like you didn't do that on accident yeah. because the way that you touched me it's impossible to accidentally touch someone that. in that way and that was enough for me to be like no and then you add that to like the way that people talk to you sometimes on these apps and um I'm not gonna go back and forth with you yeah. you know the, you, you, you've seen the brotherhood you've seen some of the the spaces where I feel like people are happy to be petty and go back and forth but I feel like I don't have that energy, and I, yeah, I found more of my success in like one-on-one or in small group things. It is, it, it's not sad sometimes. I do wish that there was, there were more spaces that were like sort of Great Leap or 50-50 where like it didn't necessarily need to be queer exclusive because I feel like what people need aren't the queer exclusive spaces because I feel like most people will feel okay in those spaces but it's so that like if you want to go out on a date with your same-sex partner and you're holding hands and you're at the mall like I want the mall to feel comfortable and I feel like Beijing doesn't have a ton of that there are businesses you know there's a ton of there's great leap a lot of the breweries a lot of like the bars a lot of like mocha bros I mean there are places that are vocal about making themselves open, but I feel like a lot of times that's what you want. Yeah. Like, you know, like I, I, I for me, I can't speak yeah. for everyone, but like I don't want it to be like the only place I would feel comfortable like dancing and like PDA if that's your thing or if like you know, can only be destination. Yeah. You know, like I don't want destination to be the only destination. I would love to be able to like go Everywhere to you go. And right, to QMAX and then, like, not be a thing because the general public has also gotten to an awareness point where, like, it's not a thing. How do you think that could be changed then? Um, I, there's a lot of great work that's happening in, in China. I mean, there's all of the work that the places like PFLAG are doing and the LGBT... The, um, it's the parents for... Like the pairs for like lesbian and gay, oh, okay. um, uh, uh, the community, and there's you know the LGBT center that does a lot of great work, and there's a different organizations that are doing it. And there's a lot of accounts. Honestly, like there's a lot of people who are just out and brave and living themselves. I know that can be very hard here. Um, I, I think part of it is with businesses. I think businesses being more vocal about it. You know, like supporting the center and like being sponsors for these events or like you know having queer nights even if it's unofficial yeah now i know that some businesses like it's hard you can't be like officially broadcasting or advertising a bunch of stuff which i think also you know prevents uh places from doing it because they don't want big events to get shut down that's why the gala every year is a secret you know things like that so I think places are trying, but I think it's more of that. You know, I I, have, I talk with one of my friends all the time, and I'm like, ah, oh, I wish a celebrity would come out and say something. Uh, and like, you know, I wish there was more allyship in that way, but I think it'll start with businesses. I think it'll start with allyship. I think it'll start with um, individuals supporting other individuals and other small organizations, because it's not going to come from the top down. Obviously, China has made a very clear where it stands on these things <laughs> for the time being. Um, and so I think it will take, yeah. Did you, did you foresee it being like this when you got here in 2011, 2012? 
do you foresee all the type of changes that have happened? Or did you, uh, when Not you got here, you just all. didn't? I think it's, I think I came here, I think like most people do, uh, expats I should say, I think regardless of where you come from in the world, I think that most people come to China for a couple of reasons. Yeah. You come because you want to study the language, you come because you've studied the language and you want to come back, or you come because there's something happening professionally. I think most people who come here professionally know that they're only coming for a short period of time. Yeah. I think the people who end up staying past that, it's because they have a business. It's because the quality of life and the political, social, cultural situation here is better or more stable than it would be back home. Or they've gotten romantically involved. Yeah. Um, because... Uh, I, I think that it can be difficult. It's difficult coming here. So I, I think... Things, because like, there's a lot of adapting that you have to do, like go through. Yeah, I think because China is changing... Well, I think China is changing so much. And then in addition to that, most people who come to China for the first time call also come when they're pretty young. Yeah. So they're changing. Or you're coming after... You're coming because you need a change. And I think when people come in those spaces, it's really hard to predict. You know, I think no one would have predicted, at least I wouldn't have when I first came here 10 years ago, that like there would be this massive sort of cleaning up, if you will, of the hutongs and that all these spaces are going to be closed. And that like malls, there would be this like resurgence of malls. I mean, how many malls have, you know, the China World Mall that keeps opening and keeps adding new places, you know, like everyone's trying to get into malls or you know no one would have thought that you know there would be all these policies to redistribute the populations around the city and encourage people to not all just be in solitude <laughs> yeah you know um and and i i thought that i was going to come to china and like a lot of foreigners as i was saying before like you come you, you finish school you sort of have your international experience yes. if you will and you sort of stay for two to four years, and then you figure out what you really want to do in life. And I think a lot of people don't make it to four years, and a lot of people come for two, and they're like, okay, thanks, I got yeah, my experience in grad school. Yeah. Or this was cute, and like, it, it, it's gonna transition into something else. Um, and so, having been here for eight of the last 10 years, there was no way. When did you go home? So, I went back, I was in the U.S. for 20... Uh, 2011 to 2012 because mm-hmm. I graduated from college so fall of 2011 to spring of 2012 I was in the US and then I came back to China for a year and then I went back to the US from 2013 to the summer of 2014 and so I've been here consecutively mm-hmm. ever since the summer of 2014 and how have you, how have you found in terms of personal growth love life in China. Mm-hmm. How is that gone? <laughs> <laughs> um, love life. Per- I mean, personal growth a ton. I yeah. think I've learned a lot. I think romantically for me, I've also learned a lot. I think it's been challenging for different reasons. Um, I think for some of the same reasons that I mentioned before in terms of like the exoticizing, yeah. the sort of objectification, I think like from my experience, a lot of the guys here 
if you are black, they just assume things about you. They assume big dick. They assume top. They assume mm. that you just want to fuck everybody. Like, to the point where, like, there are some Chinese gays who, like, will pass around black people's contacts and they have groups oh. where, like, they talk about... Yeah, I mean, it's there's yeah. been some mess. So, like, that really turned me off to it. I mean, that put me in a position where I was like, I don't know if I want to be hooking up with random people off yeah. of apps because some people here that I have met have types and they stick to them. I think romantically, I've had a few things in the years that I've been here. I think the challenge has been sort of me dealing with my own sort of insecurities as being a, a, a big by big, fat, sort of black man being here. I think it's always difficult to navigate the world in that. And I think, especially in China, where, like, there's a lot of fat phobia. Yeah. Um, that it, uh, yeah, it hasn't worked out too well. I think, also, my job is very busy. I'm a workaholic. And that is... Besides, besides, besides uh, the, the, the business, what else? What else? So I work in education consulting. I'm a director at an yeah. education company. So I, and then I also do some volunteer stuff. Um, and I keep myself very busy and that's a way for me to make excuses for not wanting to get involved. I think my relationship with romance, 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 romance is, uh, <laughs> is difficult because I still deal with sort of trauma for my parents' divorce, and my dad has gone through two divorces, um, and so I think I have a lot of trepidation, if you will, when it comes to that, um, but it can be very good. Mm -hmm. I, I think When it's good, it's good. Yeah, I think when, you know, I think that if you are a foreigner here, I think that it can be challenging because you can be shy and nervous or like you come in with your assumptions and obviously like locals do the same. So I would say sort of throw that out of the windows. I think a lot of people assume that, uh, again, like back to my thing about like the fact that my, my elementary school friend, her dad was dating someone else. I think there is a lot of, like there's a lot of, self-pity, self-deprecation, self-loathing. I feel like sometimes in Chinese males here that can make these difficult and a lot of like lack of confidence, I think uh, in general. And approaching foreigners, obviously it's not everyone. There are some people. But I think if you have patience, I think also a lot of foreigners assume that like they can't, one, they can't find themselves attracted to Asian men if you are gay. Or, yeah, if you're, well, not if you're gay. If you are a person who's interested in Asian men yeah. and men, which... I don't understand that at all. Um, and I think that they think that culturally it can be very difficult to like work things out. And like, obviously, for me, like for for from my side is that I've never been with a with a with, with an Asian man. Cause also I don't know a lot of them. Yes, there's that. I don't know a lot of them. I don't know how to speak the language. Also, mm -hmm. so I cannot be. Interest in summer and then be pen pals over here. Yeah, yes, yes. I cannot. Yes, do that. I do definitely think there is a lot of access. Mm. Um, 
But I, I think that, I don't know, if that's, if you're interested, obviously there's there. I mean, obviously in the gay community, it's very easy to like hook up and go on dates with people because the apps are meant for that in a way that I've mm-hmm. come to understand that like, that's not how it works for the straights. Um, but I, I think there's a variety. And I think also then if you date within the expat community, there's that. I, I haven't done a lot of that. Yeah, but there's five of us. Right. I don't do a lot of dating within the expat community for the same reason why I don't date in the Chinese community because it's going to degrees of separation just yeah no it's there's there's literally five five of us well I only know five of us so I don't I don't I don't play I don't play on that side where do you see fifty fifty going in the next. I'm gonna say five years. I was gonna say three years, but bitch, we don't know when this shit is ending. Mm-hmm. So in the next five years, where do you see your business going? Um, I think definitely. I think something that I hope will stay the same is sort of that core value of like community and being a space for all. Our parent concept is this idea of table booze and company. It's the name of our WeChat group, and the idea behind it is that like. To have a good time, you don't need that much, yeah. right? You, right? We're sitting down on the couch. We have a little table in front of us. Mm-hmm. If we had cocktails, that's all we, that's need, all we need, right? Yeah. And so the idea is that I think, in the, especially in a place like Beijing that is so big and can feel so unwieldy, and I think that there is a lot of greatness that I think can come out of anonymity being in a city like Beijing that is so hustle and bustle. But I think to find a space where like, no matter who you are and where you are in life and what you do in life, that you can find commonalities between other people. I feel like it's so important in today's world and society. And so I would hope that we can like hold on to that sense of community. That like, this is like, I don't know, for lack of a better analogy, it's like the water, the water hole, you know, the place where just like people gather Uh. and like, you know, to me that imagery is popular or, or powerful because it's like everyone sort of needs this space. And so I hope that stays the same. We're doing more than just being like a place to drink where we're actually being like a community partner. Um, I think there's a lot that you can do with that. Um, yeah, and I hope that at the end of the day people are just still having fun. I think when like it's not fun anymore, I don't know if it's worth it. It's not. Like, if it's something is not fun, shut it down. Yeah. Like, end it. And then, where can people catch you? Are you on social media? I am. I am. I am. I have. I'm trying to see what would make the most sense. I have Instagram. My Instagram handle is at Irvi, E R V I E E E. Um, and then, uh, I think that's all the social media. Twitter? I, I have Twitter, but I don't like. Use it. Have Twitter, if you know what I mean. So you just on Twitter, but you say nothing. Yeah, I'm there. Uh, I'm working on that. And then I have, I guess I have WeChat. Um, and then if you're interested in our bar, it's mm. t- uh, at TBC underscore 5050. Yeah. At TBC underscore 5050. Mm-hmm. Okay, yay. Guys, that was EJ. That was so great. I hope you also like learned that in order to do your own business, stay in your own lane. Do something yes. that works for you. Don't be following everybody. Do you. And you'll thrive in, in doing you. That's the only way you can thrive, is actually just doing you. And then, 
Yeah. I am Lele, and you can catch me on Twitter at Lele the Guy, and on Instagram Lele two underscore G. And you can catch us on at Outside Radio. This is Queering It Up. Till next time. Bye. Bye. You're listening to Outside Radio. <laughs>